We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast powered by Blue Wire. Shout out to the new company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. You guys can follow me on whatever Elon Musk is calling that app these days. And you guys know where to find me. Uh, at Mike Dugar, M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Thank you so much for all the love and support on our YouTube channel. Uh, Seahawks Man to Man is the name of the channel. If you're listening right now, just go hit the like, subscribe button, you know, over there. Even if you're someone who listens on audio, just hit the button for us. It'll help a lot. We thank you for that. Um, support Chris go ahead and uh, holla at him what is going on everybody it's your boy Christopher Kidd you can follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206 and that is CKID206 all right we're coming to you guys with a, a bonus slash emergency episode uh by now you know that the Seahawks have uh fired is essentially what happened uh, with Pete Carroll he is no longer the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks he is moving from that role that he had for 14 years to an advisory role. No, we don't know what that advisory role means. Uh, We just know that John Schneider is taking over. He's going to be in charge of finding a new coach. He's going to have, you know, kind of full reign of things. He can do what he wants. Uh, He's already, he's had power, but now he's like what Kanye was rapping about in 2010, you know, like one man has all the power now. So it'll be interesting to see uh, where that goes. Chris, a very busy day with a mixture of people shocked, um, some people happy, some people sad. And even if you were on the happy side, you probably got sad watching Pete talk uh, today and cry when talking about his children and his wife and the relationships that he's he's built. And then could get talk about he's freaking jacked um, coming into uh, he had some music playing when he walked in the auditorium today. That was packed, by the way. Um, yeah, man, very... Very weird day, uh, it feels like. I, I kind of could sniff something was up when, you know, Pete Carroll usually has his press conference the day after they do the locker room clean out with the players, which is like, let's say the players lose, you lose on a Sunday, locker clean outs Monday, players are, are Pete's Tuesday. Once that, once I never got that email from the staff, I'm like, uh-oh, somebody getting fired. I don't know if it's the coordinators, I don't know if it's Pete, John, somebody going. And then, but today, get that little notification and bang whole franchise is changed just like that it's all it takes it's all it takes i'm running the running the board at kjr and next thing you know i see adam Schefter's tweet i'm like is this real breaking news pete carroll i'm like this is this is probably fake so you got to make sure now with twitter because everyone likes 
making fake accounts and trying to get you. I'm making sure, okay, X amount of followers, he's verified. This is the real Adam Schefter. And next thing you know, it's it's circulating, it's confirmed, and it's okay. He is not going to be the head coach. And the next question, okay, well, then who is going to replace Pete? Which, if you're listening to this show on a Thursday morning, Friday, whatever the case may be, I don't know yet. Mike might have a few ideas. I know his start, he got a story that he's working on that's going to be up. When's that story dropping, Mike? Does it drop tonight, tomorrow? Uh, by now, the uh, my candidate story is out, and then I have another story kind of explaining why um, Pete got why he got fired, and we can get yep. into that before we answer some of the. We got a ton of questions about what's what's next and everything. We get a chance to tell a Pete Carroll story or two if we have to, if we have time. I'd like to tell at least one. Um, there's two. Well, I would like to tell at least one. But yeah, everything's pretty much out by the time um, this uh, this episode drops. John Snyder did not speak today, if you're curious. he'll uh, I'm told he'll speak on Tuesday. So Got I it. think Monday's a holiday. And then right after MLK that. MLK Day. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then John will be after that. Don't know what time. But yeah, that'll be interesting. And to my knowledge, Jody Allen was not there today, um, which was which was interesting. It was just kind of, at first I was like, this is weird. Pete's just got to get up there and talk about why his bosses took his job from him. That's, and then we don't hear from them. It's a little awkward. Um, and then I kind of, I, 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 I kind of thought about it as when I got home, I was like, okay, they just wanted Pete to have his day. And that is what it feels like. Everyone's talking about Pete. They're kind of eulogizing him, which is weird as you, you talked about before we press record, Chris, cause he's not dead. Um, so it, it, it can kind of feel like that with the way people are talking about him. Everything that I've seen from Players posting tribute videos. I'm, I'm thinking he's not dead. Can we find a better movie clip insinuating that he's just no longer the head coach? This is not, damn, Pete. Well, I'll, when will I see you again? You know, it's been a long time without you, my friend. I'm sure someone's going to drop that <laughs> and be a music video of six minutes long of all his running and laughing on the sideline, chewing bubblegum, throwing challenge flags. Someone's probably mixing up that highlight tape right now. But no, Pete is not gone. He is still here with us. He's just not going to be coaching. And for me, it was, I'm not going to lie, it was kind of a shock because there's a lot of unknown. I know we wrapped about this off wax in regards to, you know, Chris, there's still a talent on the team. Yes, but how much of that talent's going to retain? If anything, it's going to be a lot of young talent that's already pretty much on the roster. Devin Witherspoon, DK Metcalf, JSN. You look at some of the veterans. I mean, Quandra Diggs is likely going to be on the roster. He he just, what, did a restructure last season? So he's pretty much, he's good. Yeah, Tyler, Quandre, and Jamal all restructured their deals this offseason, yes. Yeah, so the ones that are, that are concerning for me are Jamal Adams because the Seahawks can easily get out of that deal without, you know, they can spread that money out for losses for the next couple years. Tyler Lockett, he's up there in age. He didn't have... A single, he didn't have one game this season where he had eclipsed 100 yards. And Ty Lockett is known for getting those type of games where he has 100 yards. Wow, he didn't? He didn't have a single game, Mike. Oh, wow. I should have known that I was at all the games. Uh, But, you know, I just didn't. That's just a little quirk I never picked up on. Yeah, that's just, I didn't pick up on until the end of the season. Someone, I think, uh, listen to KJ talk about it. I think either KJ said it, someone said, and I was like, I looked it up. I couldn't believe it. I, I was like, there's no way he had to get a game where he had a hundred yards and that just shows, okay, but what can we go get a young guy? So could he possibly, what's his future? And he was all in with Pete Carroll and vice versa. And then you look at Bobby Wagner, you're looking at center stones on this team. And now you have pretty much in this scenario removed 
the big guy on campus. He's no longer there. He's no longer going to be the head coach. I look at Leonard Williams. I wonder how much of Pete Carroll played a role into him. Well, he got traded here, so I guess he didn't have a choice. But now in, now in this scenario. He, he kind of like approved like, okay, yeah, I would go there, though. That makes sense. The, the Giants kind of was like, hey, we about to trade you. Where you want to go? Like, okay. So, <laughs> you know, which is nice Fair. for the Giants. Good, good for them. Organizations <laughs> do not always do that. Sometimes, like Quandre in Detroit, you just wake up, you're taking a nap with your daughter, something Trading. I can really relate to now, and you wake up and you're like, what the hell you mean I'm about to board a flight to Seattle? That's crazy. Yeah. So, okay. In that regard with Leonard, he kind of had a choice. Well, obviously he chose Seattle for a multitude of reasons. I would imagine Pete Carroll being one of them, how Seattle runs things. Obviously he probably did his research. His agent knew about Seattle and they thought it was a, a good deal. He played what? I think seven games with the Seahawks, if I'm not mistaken, Mike. Leonard, you know, I think Leonard played 10. 10 okay. So he finished 10 games with the Seahawks, clearly an impactful player, but now Pete's gone. How, how big is that going to be for him to re-sign? That's something you got to think about because a lot of these dudes are probably in Seattle because of the culture that Pete has and what Pete brings. And now that that's gone and they're bringing in, dare I say, a new voice, how does that change this entire roster? How, does, how are things going to look? I know a lot of fans, they want to be in Super Bowls. Well, I don't know if they're going to be a Super Bowl team next year. There is a lot that is unknown. With Pete Carroll coming back and to, to see what the team does, I can give you a take in March and April, in April after the draft, late April, and say, oh, this is a Super Bowl contending team, or they're still missing a few holes, obviously, blah, blah, blah. Now there is the unknown. There is key players on this roster that we know are studs, and then there are players that are thinking okay, that we are thinking of that are saying okay, that we are saying okay they're a lot older. I know this is very cliche, but other oh, is going to bring them back. How big of a role is that going to play? If they don't bring Bobby back, who's going to play linebacker? Jordan Brooks wants to play a certain spot. Is he going to be comfortable moving around? They still got to draft defensive linemen. If Leonard Williams goes, that leaves a gaping hole. There's just a lot of uncertainty. And Mike, you'll probably find out more, more and more as. The day progresses as time goes on. But right now, there's just, I feel there's a lot more questions and answers, which is fair. It's understandable. This is the path that the Seahawks organization wants to go in. Now we all will just wait and see what comes next. And hopefully for fans out there, they're getting closer to what they want, which is obviously another Super Bowl. Because who doesn't want that? More pods for us, more opportunities to go out and travel for Mike, going to a Super Bowl, doing a podcast. That's great doing a feature story on whatever happens down at the Super Bowl, that's even better. So opportunities come from that. But right now it's, oh my goodness, can this team be even good next season? And yes, they have the, some players on this team that, without question, they can be good, but there's going to be a lot of questions. Yeah, the the one of the – a reason for like trepidation – ooh, that's a good word. Make sure I use pretty. that correctly. Yeah. The reason for that was because Pete Carroll represents so much of the team had been built in Pete Carroll's image, you know, for better or worse. Yes. Now the 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 hope is, and he kind of gave the Seahawks a floor. You know, they never lost, they never won fewer than seven games. I think uh, with him, which is you know pretty. It's not the Mike Tomlin streak, but that's, that's pretty impressive. Um, so they never lost. They never won fewer than seven games. I um, mean, at one point, won like what thirteen or something like that. Uh, so and they've won, I think, the six most games since he took over in 2010. So it's a winning team. And now you have to hope that uh, the new guy with John Schneider, they keep all the good that Pete Carroll did, like culturally, like the Monday through Saturday stuff. And then they fix all the bad. 
You know, mm-hmm. that's like a perfect marriage. That can happen. It definitely can happen. Uh, there's just no guarantee. And then, you know, you kind of knew what you were, not kind of, you knew what you were getting with the Pete Carroll team, at least in, in theory. At least you knew what he was trying to do. You know, with the, whoever the new guy is and whoever all his new coaches are, because I feel like you got to just basically clean house there. Uh, you don't know what they're going to do. You don't know this, like you said, so much uncertainty in terms of vision. You know, John Snyder has a lot in his hands right now. Like, you know, I quoted Kanye earlier. He has a lot of power in his hands. He can hit the Ooh. full reset button, and he can tear it all down. He can clear out the coaches. He can clear out the roster. He can be like, yo, I am in charge, and this is will now be shaped in my image, you know, through my vision, through my core tenets, whether that's always compete or circle of toughness, and he keeps all that stuff. He'd be like, nah, we're throwing all that out the window. Um, reminds me of that scene in uh, Johnson Family Vacation when they're in the road, they're in the road trip, and they arguing over the music, and Bow Wow's character just takes all the CDs, and he's like, "Marvin Gaye, shot," and throws them all out the window. Like <laughs> he could, he he throws a, a few CDs out the window. But the point is, John could do all that. I don't know if he will, but the fact that he could is it speaks to kind of that uncertainty, particularly culturally. John's always gonna just try to find good players, right? Like, duh, he's told us so much about his roster building mindset, but it's the culture part that, that that's important. Um, I do something that I thought of. Uh, a lot is why this happened, why they fired Pete, or you know why he's transitioning. Transitioning also sounds like he's dead, so I don't want really to use that either. How about but, he is in a new role? <laughs> yeah, why 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 he's going to this this new role, um, of which we really know no details of. <laughs> um, and I, I think it really comes down to this, you know. And we're, Chris, we're probably going to have to explain this to people. They're going to see us everywhere, barbershop, flag, football field, on the in the street, whatever. No, why they fire Pete? We're going to get asked this for probably said, the next man, like. Our what, barber said months? that to me. Yeah, that's the first oh, thing yeah? Mike said. Yeah, he was like, "Chris, bro, what they doing?" I was like, <laughs> "Yeah." So I mean, I think I know, but I don't, man. <laughs> here's the simplest answer: Pete Carroll had a vision, and it was no longer his vision for whatever reason was no longer being carried out by the players and his coach, you know, like it just didn't match. Pete Carroll has never wavered in what he wants to do. That's his whole thing. You know, that's, yeah. but when he got fired from the Patriots and before he took the USC job, it was that's that year. I think that was 2000. Um, was about finding himself about sticking, finding what he's going to die by, you know, live by and die by, but particularly die by. And he found that it was like a, some stuff he, he's talked about this whole time. Always compete, complete the circle of toughness, own the line of scrimmage, do right longer than the other guys. Like I could spout all this stuff off the top of my head because he said it so much. Right. He found all those things, you know, um, and for a long time, the teams embodied that. Like I was watching um, I was watching an old Marshawn interview the other day. It actually was last night. And like you could you could just feel Marshawn, how he was connected with Pete. Same thing with 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 uh, Russell, and then how all of those kind of island of misfit toys defenders came together to they how they all have their own personality, like Cliff and Mike B and Bobby and KJ and Earl and Kim and BB, but they all at the same time matched Pete's vision, and it and the on field product reflected that, like they had a vision, carried it out for the last mm, however many years, Pete's had the same vision and the same philosophy. He hasn't wavered. And it has not been carried out. Like it is not from the let Russ cook debacle. And I call it a debacle because of how it didn't clash with Pete from that stuff to his defenses, not doing anything that he really wanted for a while there. They were just not limited explosives. Couldn't rush the passer, you know, like bad stuff, but at least they did the first thing, which was stop the run. 
Now they're not the last two years, not even doing that. And that really is like, all right, man, if you guys can't, you're, you're doing none of the stuff that Pete is preaching. It's because he's preaching the same stuff. You know, he is. You know, I was thinking about Chris. I was talking to somebody today and they were talking about this is uh, one of his former coaches or one of his former assistants. They were talking about how his impact on the game, so much of it is actually going to be about tackling. Like the Seahawks used to be so known for tackling, they would show videos of how the Seahawks tackled to other teams to be like, hey, this is how you tackle. And then look, look at what we've seen like this this last year. They can't tackle. Mm. Like they can't, and heading into their week 18 game with their mm. season on the line, it was like, yeah, we got we to go back to the basics of tackling. Think that's crazy. That was like when I thought about that earlier today before we recorded, when that coach mentioned that to me, I was like, yeah, that is pretty crazy to think that like he that's how far things have kind of fallen. That's just one example. But yeah, that what Pete Carroll envisioned was no longer being carried out. And when that's the case, you kind of can't be the coach anymore. You know, whether I don't I, it's not as simple as like losing the locker room or whatever. It's not even as simple as maybe guys tuning you out. Whatever mm. it is, it's just not hitting. This is not hitting yeah. enough consistently. And once that happens, you just can't you can't be the guy running the show. And that's perhaps what was told to him by Jody or Burt Cole or John Snyder. This this week was like, dude, you got the vision. Like we agree with it. Run the ball, play good defense, be great on special teams. Like, yeah, every coach is doing that, but we're not actually doing it. Yeah. We're theorizing it, but we're not doing it. It's supposed to be like, I think, therefore I am. It was like I think, but we not it. And exactly. That, I mean, that's that's how you end up. Getting that call, like, yo, hey, man, how you feel about this advisor role? <laughs> I don't know what that is, but that's what Pete's about to be doing now. No, that's true. And to take a page out of your book and movie references and quotes, I got one for you, Mike. How about in Spider-Man? When Uncle Ben one? grabbed there's a, there's a million the spider first, The first one that came out in 2003, the original, okay. originals. Peter Parker and Uncle Ben in the car chilling, and he looks at him. And he says, Peter, with great power comes great responsibility. Those words can be echoed to our man, John Schneider. Because right now he's going to embark on a journey where he is literally calling all the shots. All right? Because in the past, it's been what? Pete Carroll personnel. We talked about off-wax about Pete having some, wanting some players. And maybe John like, yeah, no. And then he's like, no, we should do this. And they, they, they have a discussion. They're not butting heads. They're just having a discussion about who they want. John got all the power now, and that's going to be a lot of responsibility come, that comes with it. You know, now the, the finger's going to be pointed at you. At so many times, it was like, oh, we know Pete had a lot to do. Like, I can't confirm this, but Bingo. I'm very confident that Pete had a lot to say with this move. Was John all the way in? I don't know. But for the most part now, well, not for the most part, moving forward in 2024, 2025, well, that's John. There's no... <laughs> There's not going to be, oh, I wonder what Pete had to say about that. Was Pete all the way in, or was this a John Schneider move? Now it's literally John Schneider. And Pete had a little funny joke. I forgot what he said. He was like, you want the hot seat. You're in it now, buddy. Something, something oh, yeah, he was like, he was like, yeah, John's going to take over. He's like, you're going you, you gonna, you gonna to learn now, big fella. Yeah, exactly, big yeah. Fella. So it was that. He meant that. Oh, yeah, 100%, because it ain't easy. <laughs> it is not easy. And Pete, he's been doing, he's been with the CRs for 14 years. It was successful. He was able to bring in the Legion of Boom. They almost had two Super Bowls, but he had his philosophy. And it, for the most part, it was working. But then there came a point in time where, okay, as Mike alluded to, you got some dynamic weapons. Use them and then use the run game. Set up your run with 
using your elite wide receivers as other teams in the NFL have now worked on and now something that they do. You look at what the Buffalo Bills have done. Now they can run the football. Obviously, they let go of their offensive coordinator this season, but it's and they to that fired point. the defensive coordinator before the year. And with Sean McDermott, said, I'm getting rid of everybody. <laughs> Clean the house. But that just goes to show you how the game is changing. And Pete, just he just wanted to do his thing. And for the most part, it makes sense. We have discussed this multitude a multitude of times about, okay, it makes sense, but if the vision ain't working on the field, then to your point that you just referenced in regards to, well, we have to make some changes. How about you be an advisor? We're not going to remove you from the team because that could mean competition. You might land a job somewhere else because I'd be willing to bet. There are a couple of teams that would love to have Pete Carroll right now at 72 years old. The energy he's going to bring, the environment, the type of coach he allows, the type of coach he is towards the players, allow, allowing them to be themselves. That is all important. And he realizes that. So I understand why the Sarahs are saying, we'll keep him around. We don't want to deal with this guy. Either he can make us look like fools. <laughs> he can go win somewhere else. Like that would sting. Imagine just firing him altogether. No advisory role, nothing like that. And he lands a job, I don't know, somewhere else. And in two years, they're Super Bowl champions. Well, God dang, doesn't that sting? The guy that you fired because you thought it was over. He goes somewhere else, does the same thing, still believes in the run game, cover three defense, gets the guys he wants, and they go out and win a Super Bowl. But instead, the Seahawks are saying, we're not going to do that. We'll keep you around. We're not going to let this burn us. We will not allow that. And I think that's key. That's huge. And Pete's willing to do that. Now, how long? That's, I don't know. We don't know anything about this new opportunity. <laughs> Pete could be four months in. So what, we're in January? So what, May, Pete? I, I, can't, I need to coach. I can't do this advisory stuff because he, as he alluded to in his presser on Wednesday, he wants to coach still. He joked at the end, near the end of the presser, you guys try to get me up out of here and you thought I'd be tired and nah, nah, I'm still, I'm still fired up and ready to go. He's still in that coaching mode. So there's no telling what his future holds. He might end up bouncing. You, we just don't know. Yeah. I could see him easily coaching. Um, yeah. I could see it. There's a lot of jobs open right now. I don't know how many teams would, would hire him. But it only takes one for you for that direct deposit to take to take effect. So yeah, I could see a few. I think he would be an upgrade on pretty much every team because I think he's what. He, assuming that no one from the uh, playoff teams gets fired, I'm pretty sure he would be the the coach that got fired with the best record. Yeah, like he's a he'd be an upgrade over uh, the the Falcons coach Ron Rivera. Um, yeah, so he'd be an upgrade. So. I don't know what he'll do. I would imagine that he would try if the opportunity came. And I don't know what's the right opportunity for him, quote unquote. Probably has a lot to do with ownership, what owner he'd be working for. That's huge. Um, so he probably want to avoid David Tepper, you know, probably in Carolina. But, you know, and uh, I guess you don't got to worry about Ursay, but I would avoid him too. Um, so he probably wouldn't go back to New England either. So it probably rolls out uh, uh, replacing Belichick. But other than that, man, I could see those, all those teams there's an argument for. I could see him taking a big college job. I don't know uh, if he would take the Bama job that came open today. Uh, but, yeah, man, it, that dude that dude today that I saw, and I was in the front row today, as I am every day in my in the same little seat, that was not a dude who's like, yeah, I'm about to sell off to Sicily with my wife, drink wine and not watch no ball, not think about ball. No, that was a dude who's about to be watching Red Zone every Sunday. Mm. Like, tapped in, assuming he's not coaching. Uh, like, he'll he'll – that's a dude who still got some, who got some juice, man. So yeah, shout out to Pete. I guess we should we should have started with that maybe. 
uh, friend of the show for coming on the show. Absolutely. Appreciate, appreciate that love. But yeah, it was um, as, and we can get into some reactions that I got from some, some other reactions I got from people. But one of them I got today was simply, it was, it was three word text. I said, it, it was time. Yeah. You know? And, and, <laughs> I, and, and it, I was like, yeah, it felt like it, you know? Um, and he wasn't the only person to express that, but yeah, it was, it was time for the reasons we talked about. You, you can have the vision. Um, and when people are no longer carrying it out, the, your vision is kind of useless at that point. No, it, and, unless we're doing it, you know, then it's yeah. not helping us win. So, and they just kind of, they were jogging in place. Like they were on a treadmill. They were just not getting closer to being a championship. They were getting worse. It felt, it felt like, and if it ain't, if nothing else, they weren't getting better along those lines. One, um, before we go to the, our, the listener questions that we got, I remember talking to a former player. This was Russ was still on the team. I can't remember. It's, 2021 season yeah i think it was after the 2021 season so before they traded him i was like you know what would you who would you get rid of russ or pete and he was just like i get rid of them both <laughs> i was like oh work he's like yeah so just just hit the, it hit the reset button um i can't remember if he said he would keep john or not but he was just like i remember he was the only person who was like yeah just, i would just get rid of them both and i was like oh that's interesting because everyone else kind of took a side like oh here's why i want peace here's why i want russ or Yada yada. He was like, "Nah, I'm good. I'm both of them. <laughs> Let somebody else take over." And now we get that scenario, and we'll and we will see how it goes. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, there's really not much else to be said in that regard. But as Mike just alluded to, we got some some Twitter questions and we're going to get through as many as possible because without Twitter questions, the show's over now. No, I'm kidding. But. <laughs> We want to thank you guys for taking the time to ask questions because we appreciate all of the love and support. Mike, I apologize. I put my phone on the charger. Can you send <laughs> that text you sent me from one of the listener questions to my cloud? And I can pull it yeah. up on yeah, here. Yeah, I can do that. Okay, and I will pull up some other questions and start with those instead. So here we go. We'll start with all Bono. My apologies for not having my uh, notifications turned off. You heard that ding. From all Bono, does Dan Quinn intrigue y'all as a replacement? Um, Dan does a little bit, a little bit. Uh, I reached out to some people today who were just, I was just kind of feelers like, hey, who do you, you know, I, my, my two questions basically to people today were, what's your reaction and who do you think should be the replacement? Right. Um, and I got Dan a few times. Um, somebody was like, it's got to be Dan or no one else, right? They were like, Dan's the only 
the option they should, should go with. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, I do. I did find it funny though. I was telling somebody this the other day. Actually, no, earlier today, I was like, it's funny how they want, want to get rid of the guy who threw the ball at the one to lose the Super Bowl and replace him with the guy that blew a 28 to three lead in the Super Bowl. Uh, it's like you guys are just asking yourselves for some uh, trauma there. But he doesn't. He he intrigues me. I'm not fully on the notion that it has to be someone from the Pete tree to kind of continue what he's doing. I feel like if you fire Pete or if you just, at the very least, you don't make, you take away his coaching power. I think you are well within your right to at least experiment with someone who's not from the tree. Who's just like, Hey, I have my own school of thought. I've been around the block. I've been here, 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 and here. And this is what I think about life and football. And here's how I want to implement that. It's not just like, Hey, I learned from Pete. So I'm a good coach. Um, I don't think it has to, has to be that. If you hire DQ, I think you hire DQ not because he's a Pete guy necessarily, because he's the right guy, you know, um, and that's debatable. There's some other guys I like um, as options as well, um, but I think that that's what you have to view Dan as if you hire him. I don't think it's just like, yeah, you know, it's just he's like Pete adjacent. I feel like that's bad logic on that. On, on that, I like the idea of like just find the right guy. No matter what background he's from, what tree or whatever, like you should just like that he's the right guy. If you need like a Pete adjacent type of vibe, you have you still have John right? and the same ownership. Right? So you, you got some pieces still remaining from what was good. You don't need to just like, all right, we're just replacing everything. But Pete, you just get a Pete adjacent, Pete disciple. I don't think that's how it needs to be. Um, I will say, and we're going to talk a lot about candidates. As a general rule, I I would prefer you you get a guy who's going to call the offensive plays just because in this uh, in this kind of climate that we're in with coaching hires and cycles. If you let's say you hire a, a guy who whether he's the offensive coordinator, or defensive or whether he's an offensive minded guy or a defensive minded guy, if you hire someone who doesn't call the offensive plays as well. Then you get a situation where you have some success, even if you don't win a Super Bowl, you have some success and your guys getting poached. And that can happen pretty much every year it's not guaranteed to happen but it can and then you just need to replace that guy that ruins your own continuity whereas like how the Niners have it and how the Rams have it who else calls the plays as a head coach um how the uh oh the Dolphins does LaFleur call the plays I think he does yeah yeah yeah. so you got yeah the Packers Dolphins Shanahan McVay there's probably some others we're missing but like those are some good that's enough you guys get the point no one's really – I mean, they can take Frank Smith from Miami and, like, you can take uh, a Shane Waldron from McVay. I don't know of any of – and you can take a run game coordinator like Mike McDaniel from Shanahan. and you, you know what I'm saying? You can take these guys, but you're still keeping the guy. And when you can keep the guy and he's your head coach, that means he's leader guy and scheme guy. That would be, in theory, the perfect setup, you know, because if you hire a great OC, let's say you hire Dan Quinn and he hires – Who's a good, let's say he just hires like Brian Schottenheimer, right? Just hires an OC. Well, if Shotty kills it, then Shotty's probably gone. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, and you just have to replace him and his continuity and everything. And who knows what, who, who, take, who he takes with him? Let's say he takes your own line coach with him. He takes your running backs coach. He takes your, uh, your passing game coordinator or something and gives them all promotions at the new spot with a, with a big raise. You know what I'm saying? So uh, that's it. I, I'm, I'm okay with the DQ thing because. Uh, because I think he could be a good leader of men. He's done it. He's had success as a head coach. I'm not a big fan of hiring a first timer for this particular position. So I'm intrigued by it a little bit, but I don't, I'm not like slam dunk on DQ where um, 
a lot of people I, I, I talked to today, they're on the phone or via text. That was their guy. They were like, yo, DQ. And for me, I think the logic, the thought process is bad. You should hire DQ because you think he's the right guy, not because he's like a Pete adjacent guy. This next one comes from Junior Varsity. What do you think about the possibility of Dave Canales coming back to be the Seahawks head coach? Same thing on the Pete adjacent guy. Do not do not hire Dave because he just because he stood next to Pete for a while. I just uh, that's dangerous logic to me. We've seen that backfire with um, Belichick disciples. Um, some of the McVay guys seem to have panned out. I think like the Vikings dude is a McVay cat, and then so is a missing one, a big one. Oh, the uh, Bengals coach. So it can it can work, uh, but I've just never liked that logic. Um, and for me, this is nothing really against Dave. I think Dave's going to be a fine head coach when he gets that opportunity. I think he should get opportunities. Like he should be considered for the Panthers, Commanders. Like some of these teams are maybe in a rebuilding mode. But I think with the pressure that's going to be on whoever succeeds Carroll, it's it's not totally the same as like this pressure on whoever replaces Nick Saban in Alabama. But it's it's not totally far off, man. The, the person who replaces Pete is expected to win. This is not like a – I don't think John's going to hit the reset button on this. I, I would be very surprised because of how much John talks about growing up a Packers fan and wanting nothing more than every year for the Packers to be in contention for the championship. It's what he grew up wanting and desiring. Um, and he brought that same mentality here. I don't think he's just going to stop that because Pete's not here. So I don't, I would like a veteran coach, someone who's done it before, because you're going to get to get it, to get to a championship. You're going to run into some really dicey situations and you got to be able to handle those. And you maybe not get the benefit of, um, oh, yeah, okay, so I've been through that situation. I didn't handle it right. So then the next year, I'll just handle it right. I don't know if you get – you'll get that luxury. Like, you're not going to get fired after a year around here, I don't think. But, like, I would prefer someone who's like, oh, yeah, no, I remember when I was the head coach here, we went through this, 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 and that. We went through a player have, going through, like, a paternity lawsuit and one of my guys getting the Dewey and – one of my coaches beefing with one of his guys and like some random media thing that you have to deal with, like all these problems you got to solve on top of being a good coach. I would just want someone who's kind of dealt with all that before. Um, so I'm not, you can kind of rule out for me pretty much any first timer in that regard. Not because they probably wouldn't be good. I just feel like I want you to come in here and try to win right away. It's going to be hard no matter what, but I feel like a guy, a guy who's done it before will be, who will navigate all of the challenges that comes with succeeding Pete a little easier than, um, than a new guy. I think. What are chances the Hawks go with a young offensive minded coach, despite everything you just said, Mike, and this comes from at Rosebug underscore 22. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that's on the table because that's what's hot right now. I mean, I think there's some defensive coordinators getting a lot of love in this cycle. I think Brian Flores might even get some love. Um, the Bengals DC might get some love. Can't remember his name. First name Lou. Um, there's a, a few guys, Dan Quinn, obviously uh, he's going to get some love. So def some defensive guys will get some love. That, that makes sense. Vrabel will get a lot of love, although he's probably being viewed as a, just a head coach um, at this point, not just like, Oh, I'm promoting a defensive cat. So I think it's probably about 50 50. Uh, John, John knows ball, right? He does. So I don't think he's just necessarily going to flow with the trend because that's what you need to do. Like he just watched Pete Carroll oversee some of the best offenses in franchise history. Uh, he's seen a defensive coach in Pete Carroll. I think this is really unique about Pete. I was thinking about this after Drew Locke's um, Eagles game. Chris, we've seen a few different quarterbacks now look like the best version of themselves playing for Pete Carroll. 
And that's for, and that's from a defensive minded coach. You know, that's not from like a former quarterback guy or like a quarterback guru uh, like Andy Reid or something. Now, these guys ain't lighting it up like MVPs. But I mean, we saw the best version of Drew Locke, I think, um, under Pete. We saw the best version of T-Jack, rest in peace, under Pete. So the best, clearly seeing the best version of Gino under Pete. We've seen the best version of Russ by a mile under Pete Carroll. Like, so because of that, I'm kind of projecting my own thoughts onto John's thought process here, but I'm going to do it anyway because the show's named after us. Uh, <laughs> I I think that if, if John looks at it that way, which he probably will because I know John knows ball, he doesn't he doesn't feel like he has to i gotta get the hottest you know offensive guy the offenses haven't stunk really they've lacked some identity but they haven't stunk so uh i think it's probably about 50 50 I, I don't get the sense that john would be like yo i gotta hire the new up and come in whiz kid dude yeah man john john's a smart guy he's been around for a little bit he's gonna hire the best guy or, or who he thinks is the best guy not feeling like he has to go hire some whiz kid who doesn't have a beard yet this next one is from at gova 52, based on the current offensive personnel, which offensive coaching tree would be the best fit? This is a good question. If you are, I mean, if you are going to pull from a tree, I would go Shanahan. Um, I don't think it matters a ton, really, but I do look at some offenses where we're just getting the best versions of guys like uh, like Tua. You know, he's he's being coached by a guy from the Shanahan tree, and then, you know, look at him, man. I mean, and the most recent example that probably stands out to everyone is C.J. Stroud. You look at C.J. Stroud, I believe they're, they're – I can't pronounce their coach's last name, but their O.C.'s first name is Bobby. Um, another guy who's in the coaching cycle, but he's pulled over from – I believe he's a guy who came from the Shanahan tree as well. I have to double-check that. But that was the tree I would pull from. I don't think that matters with your personnel at all. I just think you should do that. Uh, but in particular, if you are going to have a pocket passer, that's probably why I would pull from that. Now, if they had like um, – like a mobile cat, like if I was trying to hire someone to work with Justin Fields, I think they fired their OC today. Uh, I would hire someone who has a history of working with running quarterbacks. That's probably what I would do. I don't know if there's a tree for that. Maybe just hire Greg Roman, I guess. He was the OC for Tyrod the year they went 10 and 6, I think, in Buffalo, I believe. He's coached Tyrod before. I don't know what years, but he was Lamar's uh, OC as well and Kaepernick's. So clearly that dude can get some brothers on the move. He'll get your run game right. So I think if, but if you have a pocket passer like the Seahawks do, uh, yeah, I would, the Shanahan tree is, is my go-to. I mean, if you could hire Shanahan, it'd be great. Can't do that, obviously. But that's the tree I, I would try to pull from. Alex Holden drops in and asks, is enemy even an option for head coach? Yeah, I've been poking around on that, and I've not gotten good uh, feedback. Um yeah, and it's not even like this is mystery stuff. Like, if you just Google his name and read some stuff from players who played for him in Kansas City, players who played for him in Washington, it just sounds like he's probably – he's interviewed, I think, for like 16 teams. You know, I, I just I just think he's not getting the job. Uh, whether that's fair or not, or it's because he's a black dude, uh, or because of his coaching style, because of stereotypes that go along with his coaching style when you are like a former running back and running backs coach and all that, I don't know. But I just have a strong feeling that dude ain't getting no job, uh, at least no head coaching job. I think he's getting considered for the commander's gig, but I would be very surprised if he gets that. So I think I put him in my coaching candidate story, but that's just because I need, I just was kind of throwing in a name at that point. And then while I was researching him for that part and then talking to some people, I, I didn't feel good about it. 
I left him in there because I just, you know, he was in there at that point. I did all the work, put all the numbers. So I was like, he's staying. But like, I would be very, very surprised if he gets hired in this cycle. And I think there's the re I think he just kind of has a bad rap around the league. Like it wasn't, it didn't take that long for me to just ask like a few people and be like, yo, what's up with the enemy? And then they'd just be like, oh, A, B, and C. And I'm like, oh, damn. You know, so yeah, I think he's, unfortunately for that brother, I would be very surprised if he gets a, a head coaching out. Lolly Hoops drops in with the rumors that we discussed surrounding Dan Quinn, mutual interest between him and the Seahawks. Do you believe the Seahawks will actually cast a wide net for a new head coach? And will the coach be evaluated fairly? Yeah, you know, I, I think so. I, I really have, I'm giving John the benefit of the doubt in that regard um, because of what he's talked about in terms of just process. Um, it Largely, I'm like applying some of his draft stuff because they cast a wide net um, in that. And what they've done to kind of like try to find advantages in scouting or medicine or whatever, they've, they've, they'll go to some places to find any type of edge that kind of spoke to the always compete thing. You know, if you ain't competing, you ain't trying type of thing. Um, and John has a lot of relationships around the league. So I would guess that would be pretty wide. It's not just going to be like, oh, who used to work here? Oh, okay. Let's talk to y'all. I, yeah. I just don't get that, that sense um, from, from John, just because of how much he's talked about, particularly if you guys just go back and listen to maybe not all of them, but I listened to all of his uh, coach, his radio show. Remember he did a radio show every Thursday during the off season last year. I would listen to all of them live, and then this past season I went back and listened to all of them again. He was giving a lot of stuff in there about how he thinks about things and how he was kind of brought up by uh, Ron Wolf and then one of, one of them other Packers dudes, can't remember his name, longtime cat. Um, but, yeah, he's process is important. If you believe in process, then you're not just going, all right, I got a couple dudes here, a couple dudes here. All right, they, I know them a little bit, so let's bring them in. Um, the other part of that is there's the Rooney rule. So, yeah, interview some black people or some women. <laughs> Or they coming for you? I just said that's a funny way to describe the rule because that's basically how it works. If you don't hide, you don't talk to no women, you don't talk to no black people. I mean, you, you can talk to some like Asian coach, Hispanic coach. We gotta get the point. If you you better talk to some people that ain't white, or we coming for you. That's uh, basically the the Rooney rule. So you gotta satisfy satisfy that too, and in doing that, you kind of you know cast a wide net naturally. Tyler at Ty Lance Jones, who is your personal choice for the new Seahawks coaching position? I think we should both get one of these. Um, I kind of have like a, a top four-ish. So I have uh, I have Steve Wilkes. Um, the, I think he's right now is the 49ers defensive coordinator. This is in no order. Um, I like Raheem Morris as an option too. I do like DQ. Um, those, And then I've come around on this one, Chris. I've come around on the Harbaugh thing. I was against it for a little bit. I've come around. And I'll let you go if you got any guys you want to name. But I, my reasoning for Harbaugh is, and I thought about this when writing about why Pete's not the coach anymore. Wherever Harbaugh goes, his, his identity follows. And it is it is carried out by his players and coaches. Like when you, Stanford, you could tell I'm watching Harbaugh ball. You know what I'm saying? And then in San Francisco, you were watching that. He also uh, – and then Michigan, clearly. Like, that's a – that the national championship is like, that's Michigan ball. Not that it's just like old school, we only run in the ball, we got to win every game 13-10. But, like, it's just – it just feels very hardball-y, you know, and you, and you want that. I want the guy that 
that whoever succeeds Pete for me to feel his identity and whatever it is. It doesn't have to be ground and pound, but just feel it, whatever it is. And with, with Harbaugh, wherever he goes, that identity follows. And this is the other part, important part. It's a pretty good track record hiring our assistants. That's what's pretty important. I think it's different. You're, you're looking for a few different things in college because you need them to recruit as well. But in general, like he's he's a pretty good like the Niners staffs that he have are pretty stacked. It's like his Michigan staff is pretty strong too. So that's that's kind of why I've come around on him uh, if he's gonna be the guy. And I think he can hit the ground running. I, I'm I'm I think I'm sold on that idea. I would actually go out and look at maybe Mike Vrabel, a guy that has had a, a really good running game for years. And Derrick Henry, he was the guy. And Seahawks are very are known. They, they've gone up against Henry. They know what he's capable of doing. And mm-hmm. one season, he actually, in the second half, exploded. And I like Mike Vrabel. I think he could come to Seattle with different with different weapons because, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if the Tennessee Titans have ever had a great wide receiver in his tenure or his time. They're not his tenure. Well, he, but he, had, he had A.J. Brown. He had A.J. Brown. How good was A.J. Brown prior was, to? He was really good. In Tennessee? Top, How good was A.J. Top, in Tennessee? He's top 10? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. AJ was really good, man. He, he was really like good. all pro okay. one of them years. All right. So with all that being said, now he has DK, JSN, Tyler Lockett. I want to see what he can do with three talented wide receivers, maybe two, depending on what the future of Lockett and how they, what they do next and free agency in the draft, whatever the case may be. And then also with two young running backs that are talented. One is a, head down, running through your chest. Another can do both, run through your chest and get outside and dance. So I would I would raise my hand for Mike Vrabel. I think he can he can do something. I'm not saying he's the answer, but that would be one of my choices as well as Mostert as not Mostert, but which is the defensive coordinator Raheem, for the Raheem Ra- Morris. Yeah the Raheem Morris. Yeah I like yeah. I like what he's been doing and I think he'd be a an interesting fit as well. Yeah I, I like uh I like Raheem because uh, I've heard that he's a pretty good teacher. Um, and I think in particular on defense, they need teachers. They need guys to like, all right, man, here's how you're going to play. You're still going to be you, but here's how you're going to play to get the best out of you. And I feel like they've, they've been lacking that. They've not had good, good teachers, which I think is perhaps why we've seen some guys regress on defense. This next one comes from Abraham Newelt. Do you think this had been in the works earlier in the season? So when do you think, Mike? They said, "Hey, man, this might we, we might have to remove you from head coach." We'll discuss this later on in the season. That's a good question. I, I would guess I have I have not done any reporting on this, so this is not a this is just a, a guess on Mike's part. To be very clear, um, my guess would be during that four game losing streak, it was probably like, "All right, this guy could be out of here." So what are we gonna do about that? Um, they were never they weren't eliminated from the playoffs until like what the last the second to last game of the uh of the final week. So nothing probably official, but I could see some thoughts of it being considered true, maybe even last year, or maybe two years ago, not 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 last year, but just maybe thinking, all right, man, we're six and what were they? What was the worst they were? Six and seven, I think. Yeah, there were six and seven going into that Eagles game. Like, if they had lost that game, probably like, oh, boy, he's a goner. Um, but, yeah, I could see that four-game win streak kind of be like, all right, let's have some exploratory talks about the future. You know, concrete, but I could see the groundwork maybe being thought of at that time, particularly going into that Monday night game. 
This one comes from Rock Paper Cloud. How long do you think before you can ask Pete questions he wouldn't have answered as head coach? And lastly, people who cover this team so closely get to know people as people. Do you feel some type of way, Mike, about this, how the Seahawks moved on from Pete Carroll as a head coach? Um. Okay, so the first part of that, what was the first part? I'm going to ask the first part. How long do you think before you can ask Pete questions he wouldn't have answered as the head coach? Oh, hopefully very soon. I'm working on a project that requires me talking to him. Uh, so, <laughs> I, yeah, and he's already agreed, so hopefully he doesn't back out on that. Uh, so hopefully very soon. I'm talking like like a month. Um so yeah, I, I I I hope selfishly very soon that would make my life a lot easier. Um, as far as the second part, I don't feel away. I think this is actually pretty respectful. I think Belichick, whenever he goes, will get this same type of yeah. We're not firing you. We just kind of you know you know making you getting you out the way. You're just not the face of this thing no more. You know because Pete and and Bill and Mike Tomlin and and John Harbaugh. Um, they're the face of their organizations, um, and they deserve whenever their time is up to not just be like like Arthur Blank just fired Arthur, uh, Arthur Smith, the Falcons coach. Like as soon as they landed from New Orleans, you could, I don't even know if Bro put his bags down. He probably got fired on the tarmac. Like that was at, at like midnight. It was crazy. Um, Pete not gonna get that, and I never thought he would. So this is actually pretty respectful considering how it could have gone. Um, same thing with, yeah, like I said, I think Harbaugh is going to get that. Tomlin's going to get that. If Belichick, Belichick could be fired by the time this pod comes out. But I don't, I think it'll want to be one of those, oh, mutually parting, blah, blah, blah type of things because he's, he, he's earned that. Um, I do hope, in terms speaking of the person that Pete is, I do hope that he finds time to appreciate stuff that ain't ball. Not that he hasn't before, but like, I think there's a reason he cried specifically today during the part where he talked about his children. I guess they're not children, but you guys get the point. His kids and his wife, Glenna, because there's a lot of sacrifices those guys and Glenna had to make to be good sons and daughters and and spouse. Right. There's a lot of sacrifices that come with with that. A lot of him missing stuff or him just not being locked in or being what you need at that time. Cause he's got this, this obligation as the face of a franchise it's a lot. Um, so I think it was Doug and Doug Baldwin's kind of thank you tribute thing to tweet to Pete. Doug mentioned at the end of it, like, Hey, I hope you take Glenna on a long vacation. She deserves it. And that stood out because as you know, we've talked to Doug and Doug, Doug, that's of course what Doug was thinking because who else is going to like, cause that matters, right? Like go take your wife, go not think about ball for as long as you can and think about her and just her for as long as you can. And then your kids too. Um, so, and your grandkids, you got grandkids and stuff. So I hope, hopefully he dedicates a lot of time to that. And it's not like crunching all 22 of the Dallas game, you know, in the middle of the night, on like February 2nd or some shit, you know, like don't do that. I really hope he's not doing, it. I really hope he's the people that he cried over today. I hope they get all of his attention for as long as possible. Um, in the immediate, if you like starting today, Ryan Turner hops in from Cigar Gate and our previous podcast discussing maybe and previous pods discussing the message, maybe not getting through to the young guys and just a lot going on. In some fashion, did the players let Pete Carroll down? 
That's a good question. I think that let him down is strong. I, I'm, they probably felt that way, though, particularly the veterans. I haven't heard that explicitly from any of the guys, but like I was sitting right next to Gino today. Bobby was sitting right behind me. Tyler and Quandra were in the back. I am very curious about how those guys feel about what role they may have played in this happening. You know, I think this, the cigar thing, Pete dismissed it as nothing on Monday. Man, that wasn't nothing. We spent a lot of time on that on our postgame show, too. That felt really damning because I, I was watching I was watching and looking at reading some old quotes and stuff from like their last their playoff loss after the Super Bowl and their playoff loss to the Bears in 2011 or 2010 and their playoff loss to the Falcons. And you could feel the hunger on those guys. It was like, yo, this I don't ever want to feel like this again. The next mm. time we get to this point, I want to win a Super Bowl. And as much as you can feel why some understand why some of those guys were smoking the cigars and were kind of in more of like a celebratory mood because of what they had accomplished, you could just tell that was not that's not how a Seahawks team gets down. That's not how former players who are used to playing for Pete are like, it's like, bro, why are we smoking cigars? They just missed the playoffs. Like, what? Like, come on, man. Like, we need to this is that we we're not just satisfied with just getting through this thing. We want to get through this thing and, and win this thing. So uh yeah, that felt really damning. You know, it, it, you really can't overstate the scene that 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 set or the picture that painted. Um, so I I don't I, I would very be very curious to get like a very vulnerable Quandre or Tyler or Gino or Bobby or even Jay Reed. Just kind of feel curious about what role they felt like they played. Maybe not let him down, but just kind of what role they played, maybe if at all, um, because you know they are an extension of him as well. It's kind of their job. Yeah to kind of be that through line, particularly Bobby, that through line from the, the the previous era to the current one. And it's a hard job, you know, uh, because what what Bobby was into in 2012 as a rookie and what he was trying to learn is different than what Spoon's into right now. It's a, t- a totally different era. It feels like that's only 11 years apart, but totally different era. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a sincere answer on that. It's probably a little too early. But I, I am interested. I don't know when I'll talk to those guys, but I would love to and see get their honest answer. Because, yeah, they did play a role um, in it. I don't know what role or what role they think they played. But, yeah, it feels like they the leaders had a played a part in why things didn't translate. I don't, I don't want to put a blame on them per se, but they, they are a part of helping Pete's words and his vision match what happens on Sundays. This next one is from Eric Mock. Did the players have any idea this was coming? Now, Mike, we know you tapped in with some of these guys, so maybe you did get some insight. If not, how are they taking the news if you've heard anything? Now, obviously, you just mentioned you haven't really talked to Bobby and a couple of the other veterans, but you were at the you were at the VMAC today. Did you catch catch anybody? Um, I didn't like I said, Bobby and Gino. I was I was gonna try to talk to them, but people asked them and they were just like, nah. So I was like, I'm not even gonna ask. They probably just don't want to talk like right now. Um, which is fine. I think that um yeah, some guys did see it coming. Some guys saw it coming, thought they thought if it didn't happen this offseason, it was gonna happen next offseason. It was just very clear to anyone who had been here longer than three years that this just wasn't going in the direction it needed to go. Um Someone mentioned to me that were like guys weren't bought in. Um, I don't know how. I don't know. I haven't really got anybody else to say that, but that was a, that was a current player who mentioned that. Um, so yeah, guys saw this coming. Saw it coming. 
again, either this year or next. I'm just kind of inevitable with the direction of the team. Everyone could feel that. Like, they could feel it, too. Think about how you guys feel when you watch the game, how frustrated you are. Imagine you went out there and got smacked around for two hours, and then you're like, dang, we're still not good enough to where we want to be. They felt it, too, you know? Um, the reason – they may have saw different reasons for it than we did because they, they're in there living it and doing it, but they, the conclusion was the same. What we're doing as a team or as a franchise is not good enough. And so, yeah, guys saw that potentially as an option – either this year or next year. Um, and I think, and I remember talking to one player, this was a few weeks ago, not about Pete not being here, but this was kind of when it was like a, did Pete lose the locker room thing? And we, we kind of both agreed that like the things that they're bad at were like, obviously you don't want to be bad at running the ball or stopping the run. Right. But it was just like, man, it was just the antithesis of Pete Carroll style. Like it's not even that they were bad at running the ball. They didn't do it very often. I can't remember where they ranked in rushing attempts this year, but it was low. Didn't stop the run. They weren't uh, at that time. They weren't like finishing games super well, which is kind of Pete's thing. It just didn't. It didn't feel like Pete Carroll ball. And this particular guy was like, "Yeah, man, like, how long is this gonna go if we're not playing Pete ball?" So, yeah, that was a. Uh, he was pretty frustrated about it at that time too. So yeah, the guys I checked in, no one was really shocked. It, was, it felt very similar to the rush trade where everyone was like, yeah, saw that coming. So uh-huh. this was this, this, it, where it was like a shock to everyone else. No one I checked in with was like, yo, at least no players. There were some like coaches that were like, damn, but no, no players were like, yo, man, I see that coming. Most of them were like, yeah, it sounds about right with the direction of the franchise. This is from your fan. How big of a role did Pete play in calling the offense and or defensive plays? Um, he, he situationally, he kind of poked in is what I've kind of gathered, particularly on offense. I've heard though on defense, he's gotten progressively more involved, which was interesting to hear. I can't like totally quantify it, but like in the since since DQ left, I've heard he's gotten progressively more involved. Uh, so that starts with like Chris Richard, Ken Norton, Clint Hurt. And he's admitted some of that to us in press conferences and stuff too, but I've heard it's kind of gathered over the years. I've, I've been hearing that for a while, obviously, but uh, I was checking in with some guys recently too. Yeah. It sounds like he's been kind of being more and more and more involved, um, which makes sense because it'd be getting worse and worse and worse. So he's probably being like, yo, I need to help. And it's not working, which is probably another reason why it was like, yo, we got to change. Like you keep cycling these coordinators on defense. You keep trying to help them out and they're just not getting it done. So it's like, how many guys are we just going to cycle through before we just let you just not be in control of it anymore? Um, which is probably why a lot of guys weren't surprised. So offense, I think it was just more like he shaped the vision. He felt It felt more hands-off on offense, particularly because you could feel like if it was up to Pete, they'd be running the ball a lot more. Like for Pete to get up there in some of these end-of-year press conferences and some of these post games, be like, yeah, we just didn't get enough turns. We didn't run it enough. No, we should have run it more. That feels so crazy. You know, like it feel like if Pete medals on the offense, they run it that day. And we could feel it like when 2020, uh, when they did after Russ threw a couple picks and that loss to the Rams. So I think it was, I heard it was way more, it was happening a lot more often on defense. I heard that from a few people. Um, and that, that is also why guys are probably not surprised. Like, yo, he keeps, he, he's trying to help us on defense, but it's just not getting through for whatever reason. Phil Birnbaum. With Pete gone, is it more likely John Schneider moves on from a lot of veterans? Bobby, Jamal, Lockett. 
There we go. I think I wrote my answer to this down that I wanted to check on. Um, yeah, so my guess would be Pete, John being in full control, unless Pete hires DQ or Dave, um, but particularly DQ, I th Dave Canales, that is, I think that is probably not good news for Bobby and Jamal would be my guesses, particularly Jamal. Because Pete has made very clear and pretty much every turn is like he cares about Jamal on a personal level. And he has seen these battles that he's going through behind the scenes. He feels his pain. He's cried with him. He's had those tough convos. The new dude will have had none of that. Like he and John will have to sit down and evaluate the film, the player, the and the contract situation. And if you do that, it is very hard to justify. I think he's like a $27 million cap hit or something you just you just can't if you just view it without you take the sentiment out of it you know um and the same same thing with with bobby it feels like it feels like what happened in 2022 was pete wanted to keep bobby john was like nah and then bobby ends up getting released um after i think they tried to trade him so and then bobby finds out about it and gets upset and then what happened last year was pete's like yo let's bring him back and then it's like Mm, should we do that? And then it's like, well, who else are we going to sign? And then Pete wins. With Pete gone, I, I feel like when you take the sentiment out of it, you probably th – those two are the ones I'm thinking, like, ah, damn, that's tough. At first I was like maybe that's the case with Tyler and Gino as well, but I feel like their production relative to contract cost probably doesn't warrant that. Like I feel like you could objectively look in and be like, oh, okay, no, we need this guy, particularly with Gino. Because also when you need a new quarterback, that's just tough. I think like yeah, Bobby and Jamal will be my the, the guys that I feel like you strip the sentiment out, bring a new guy in, that they are probably in the most danger. And then I would say the next tier of that is probably uh, Tyler. Like I think Tyler would probably stick around, but like I could see a new person being like twenty six point something million. We got Jackson Smith and Jigba. We have no cap space and no cash. Tough decisions got to be made. Like I could see that. It's hard to make that call, though, and, and claim you want to win a championship, though, because Tyler is a really good player still. But you could see, like, hard decisions got to be made. If it was easy, you would have kept Pete, right? So I think that's kind of how leaving it all up to John and this unnamed new guy kind of impacts some of the older players uh, on the roster. I think everyone else is kind of in a good position in terms of, like, hey, you're producing to match your um, salary. At Magnus T. Sunland, simple. Will they roll with Gino or go in another direction? I do think that one of the things that stands out about, and we, I know we got some questions about this. I'll kind of loop them into this. People who wanted to know, like, all right, how does the quarterback acquisition strategy change in the draft now that John's running the show? I do think John is dying to take a quarterback. Dying to. Dying, mm -hmm. dying, dying. Like, I, I really think he wants to. When he does that will be interesting to see. I don't think that just because Pete leaves, they're going to use pick 16 on a quarterback. But I do feel like John sees the value in taking one, even if it's a backup, that he's going to do it. Um, and if you feel so strongly about drafting a quarterback, then, of course, your incumbent is uh, at danger of maybe not being your guy anymore, particularly Geno's case where he has outs in his contract. You can get rid of him pretty easily. I think the deadline is sometime in February to be like, all right, if you don't want him, decide right now, and he becomes really easy to get rid of. But like I said earlier, I think he's produced at such a high level relative to his contract price and positional value. I do not see them like punting on Gino so they could draft someone um, 
if they had a top five pick, like if Pete Agav can last year and they had to pick five, then yes. Oh. But pick 16 makes that a little tougher. Um, Gino had just made the Pro Bowl. You know what I'm saying? So that was different. But right now I, I would imagine you keep you keep Gino because the, the film, the, the eye in the sky don't lie. You know, um, Gino played really good ball. He made good reads. He was good in the pocket, throw it deep. Um, it took, it was a little funky there in the middle when the O-line stunk, but overall, yeah, I could see, easily see Gino. Um, I could see Gino staying because of the talent, but also, Chris, you think about it. It's it's not going to be easy to upgrade from Gino at a cheaper cost. Like, how are you going to do that and try to win a championship? Because it's not like when they signed Matt Flynn to all that money, they were like, all right, let's draft one in the first round. They're like, no, let's take a guy with pick. What pick was Russ? 75? I think, you know, they were probably thinking this guy can be like a solid backup. Not, oh, he can give Flynn a run for his money. They were shocked by that. So, uh, yeah, I think for that reason, when it comes to fixing all the other stuff they got to fix on defense, it would just be unwise to be like, oh, let's also try to find a new quarterback for cheaper. No, that's 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 tough. There ain't that many quarterbacks better than Geno that are cheaper than Geno. Carson drops in. What will be the hardest skill set or talent of Pete's to replace with a new head coach also. What should the Seahawks be looking for and prioritizing in a new head coach? You know the answer to the first one, don't you? What do you think the answer to the first one is? I wonder if we're on the same page on this. Well, it's trying to replace what Pete has built, man. He built a system for the players. It's all about them. That is hard to replicate. How many teams around the league have what Pete Carroll has? It's not, you don't go around the league and like, damn. Players be like, oh, this is how the Seahawks get? I can get with this? That is gone with Pete. That is no longer there. There's going to be a new head coach. Obviously, if it's someone from his tree, okay, maybe he can trickle that, what he's learned from Pete. But for the most part, it's going to be completely different. That vibe, that skill set of being able to coach your guys, and I don't care about your background, you know, I love you as a brother, as a as a human being. Like let's let's go have fun. Like that's something that Pete, he is on his own island in that regard. He is so he's an icon when it comes to that. There is there is no other coach in this NFL, I dare I say, in any sports that is what Pete Carroll was with the Seahawks, treating all his players differently, but also giving them that love and showing him that he's there for them. Like all fifty three players rock with Pete for the most part. There isn't a guy that's like, that's not, I, I would it. probably, I would lump Mike Tomlin probably in that as well. Exactly. So yeah, that, okay, true. I I, I mentioned Pete's only one. That is true. Yeah, Mike yeah, Tomlin's yeah, yeah. Another I would guy. throw Mike T in there as well. But yeah, that, I think that's going to be the hardest skill and or talent is his ability just to work well with others and to make players believe. He, he made these guys believe that they could really go out and make some noise. If they, just, if they get in, they could do it. Now, me and you and everyone else that watches tape and studies the game and even fans were like, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not buying it. But that's the type of coach he was, is, however we look at it in the next six months, that's who Pete is. And that's going to be hard to replace. So I don't yeah. know if you had that. But yeah. Yes, I had I had like a subsection in that um, or a subset of that, which is the the getting the unlocking the the maximum confidence in guys like that is just so hard to that's why it stands out when it happens like drew drew lock on monday night was just that's that's why i wrote about it that day like 
Drew's not doesn't lack confidence, but you know he needed like a little jolt, you know? Um, he needed that. It's like I think we might even said on the postgame show, it's like when um bro and uh remember the Titans lied about how many brothers and sisters he had to yeah. fire up, I think Petey, whoever he was firing up, I can't remember at the time. He was firing up one of the players and he was like, Yeah, I had 12 brothers and sisters. They all count, they was all looking to me, lost my mom and dad, same month, you know. Um some guys just need that. And, and Pete knew how to bring that out of all. Like, we've seen a lot of guys play their best football with Pete Carroll. Like, a lot of guys play their absolute best. Like, either, whether they were good in Seattle and went somewhere else and weren't as good or weren't nearly as good, or they came from somewhere else, like a Drew Locke, like a Geno, or some of these other guys, even like uh, uh, Michael Bennett, or there's tons, Brandon Browner. Because, like, he can get you to believe in yourself in ways you might not even thought you believed in yourself it just unlocks mm. that and keeps it consistent and unwavering. That is very tough. Cause that's kind of more Zen that has very little to do with like football, you know? So that, that is going to be very, that goes into what you were saying too, about the connection with the players and the culture and the vibe, that specific thing though, is, is where I'm thinking like, man, Pete really had dudes believing they could do whatever. Um, they could just be the best version of themselves, like the very best, 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 um, and that's, yeah, that's going to be hard. That is by far the hardest little subsection of what you were saying that is going to be like the new guy. I don't, I don't know if I ever match that because that's, that's mm. just rare stuff. Holly jumps in. Do you think Schneider will choose a defensive or offensive minded coach? I would probably, I would, I would guess offense. Um, unless he just hired like Vrabel or something, but oh. I, w- I would I, w- I would get uh, Vrabel's not a bad one too. Too by the way, to your to your point, um, he's really he's a good coach. I don't think Tennessee should have fired, but I can see why they did. You can always um, you can almost always justify firing someone if you really want to. But anyway, I would probably guess offense, but that's just pure guess. I really am trusting John, giving him the benefit of the doubt because of how much he's talked about process. Um, he hasn't always carried it out in the draft, but you could even tell that he's kind of learned from it. You know, I've, I've had some conversations with him. I'm at the combine over the years where you can tell that he's learned from some of that, some of the stuff that you guys are really mad at him for doing in the draft. He knows it was not good and has worked to address it, which is why the last couple of drafts have been better. You know, um, mm-hmm. he, you can tell he's learned. I could tell he's learned by talking to him, but then the results are also showing too. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt in that regard. Um, I just think he'll try to hire the best guy. I don't think he'll care what side of the ball is what. But if yeah. I had to just guess, I would probably – I feel like there's also just more offensive candidates. Maybe I don't have a number in front of me to qual- quantify that, but, like, when I went through my list today, I had, like, 20 names on it. I feel like most of them were offensive background guys. This is from Auk underscore 1990. This is John – is this John Schneider's team now? And if so, what's the vision of the team? We don't know, man. I wish we had. I wish we had a better answer for you. I do think it is his team. For to be clear, like I do think he's running the show. Um, like Pete said today, he's been waiting a long time to do this. A long mm-hmm. time to really, really not have to be like, yo, okay, I got all this groundwork done on this player I like. All right, let me make sure Pete's on board with it. Now he ain't got to do that. I know. I think it's been out there reported a few times that like he really had to campaign. Not really had to campaign, but it, it took some convincing to draft Russell. You know, like it wasn't a full consensus in the moment. Um, it took some convincing. Uh, I'm pretty sure we wrote about that at the Athletic. Pretty sure. Uh, but stuff like that, you just don't got to do that anymore. You don't got to be like, I really want Andy Dalton. Pete, what do you think? Nah. Now you can just be like, we're taking Andy Dalton. You know, which would have been a good pick at the time. 
So I, I, I do think it's it's his team. You know, uh, I really don't think we haven't. I don't think we mentioned this already in the show. I don't think this advisory role was really much of anything. Like I think he'll be in it, quote unquote. But like, I think John's gonna just want to cook. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like uh, Chris. Oh, I, yeah, you came to Wazoo as like a transfer student, so I don't know if you felt this the same way. But when I, when I came to Wazoo, I wasn't very sheltered as a high school kid. Like I could go to parties and stuff. Um, you know, stay out late, things like that. When I met kids at Wazoo, particularly freshman year, who were sheltered, whose parents didn't let them kick it and stuff like that, curfews, hard nose on parties and everything. When I met them at Wazoo and they got a chance to turn, like no one was telling them when to come home, hmm. it was wilding. It was wilding. It was taking full advantage of all that freedom. I could see John being like that, being like a college kid who was super sheltered or being like a, a kid who was super sheltered, gets goes away for college and is like, I am active. Let yeah. I, I'm I ain't studying a lick. I'm staying out. What's up? You know, I'm doing everything. I'm partying, drugging, drinking, having sex, everything. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Uh, I met a bunch of kids like that at Wazoo who like grew up somewhere like Squim or something like that. And was like, yeah, now I'm out, I'm outside now. So I could see John kind of being like that. And I feel I feel like he'd been given the keys to do that. Because the only thing that was really preventing him from that was Pete. And if Pete's willing to step back and let him shine, particularly that's why I asked Pete today. I say, yo. Are you gonna help pick the new coach? He was like, "Nope, I'm deferring to John." Boom. Mm. That's what. That's what told me. That, that's it right there. If you let John pick his guy and you rolling, yeah, I, I feel like it's John's team. This comes from one of Mike's good friends, Adam Nathan. Seems like John's ship to steer. Now, do you expect things from a recruitment point of view to be different? Yeah, I'm. I'm with you. You kind of alluded to this too. It, Seattle was kind of like a college, you know, like you come to you come to a program to play for such and such. Like you go to Alabama to play for Nick Saban or, you, you know, you, you go to USC to play for Pete, you know, come to Seattle to play for Pete Carroll. You know, guys have guys have wanted that. They've heard about it and they've come here and talked about how much different it is, whether it's Jamal coming from the Jets or Carlos coming from the Bengals, Quandre coming from the Lions. Um, I haven't had heard Leonard talk about it too much coming from the Giants, but we just had other guys to talk about it. I feel like Cliff has probably talked about it a little bit too, coming from the the Lions. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, he yeah he has. Um, so even Bobby coming back from the Rams, you get these guys who are in these other spots, and they come here, and it's like, yo, I remember talking to Cassius Marsh one time, um, who was here and then went to the Patriots and then came back for a little bit, and I was like, yeah, so would you, you know, what was would you learn about like the difference between you know, Pete and Belichick and Seattle's culture in New England. He was like, I don't want to talk about New England. And like, just a hard no. <laughs> like, we ain't talking about New England. Like, it was like it was uh, Rikers Island or something like that. Uh, I forget what year this was, but you guys can look it up. Whenever Cassius was last year. So that uh, that stuck in my mind. It was 2019. Yeah, he was like, I'm not talking about New England. I'm like, he said it respectfully, but yeah, you could just feel it. Um, there were some other guys I've talked about that too, guys who have played in New England in here, like Jacob Hollister, I think played in both. Justin Coleman played in both. So like, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's real different. So I'm actually just kind of curious to see, cause before I had examples, like the ones I just gave you. Now I don't, I don't have that. I don't know how a Seahawks culture looks without Pete. Do they take the basketball hoop out? Do they still have the themed days, mm. turnover Thursday, competition Wednesday, tell the truth Monday? Uh, That's all Pete. <laughs> I think it's like no repeat Friday or something like that. Do they still leave two days early on road trips that are out of, out of the Pacific time zone? Is there still music playing at practice? Like, you know what I'm saying? All these things. Pete Carroll was running through whiteboards on the, in the night before meetings. 
Sometimes he let players run the night before meetings. You know, we call on like Tyler or Nick Ballore to speak in front of the team. Is he still, I don't know. I just, I, I'm with y'all. I know all the things that Pete was doing. I know how they resonated with his players and his coaches, but I don't know what that, how much of that's uh, carrying on. You know, you, I just don't know. I, I know what I, I have an idea of what should be kept and what shouldn't, but. The fact that we just don't know that we're all kind of in that boat. It's it's too fresh for me to have done any reporting or just experienced enough to know the difference. But yeah, it's like we were talking about earlier with John. He can rip out everything we just mentioned. He can be like techno Thursday, turnover Thursday, competition Wednesday. What does basketball do? And you know, he can get rid of all that stuff if he wants. I don't know if he will, but the fact that he could, yeah, man, this could be a whole different operation. And that could in turn affect how free agents view Seattle or guys view Seattle by getting traded or they're just re-signing here. You know, it could affect a lot of that. Got three more, Mike. We got Slim. Confidence-wise, how much confidence should fans have in Schneider? I still feel he's a top three GM. Am I tripping for thinking that? It's just really hard to know what was a Schneider move and what was not. Particularly... Mm -hmm. How much of the 2013 through 17 drafts were John Snyder versus Pete Carroll's decisions? I mean, we're making the decisions together, but you guys get the point. Like in those 20, uh-oh, let's let's run through them. Let's uh, let's see. Seahawks draft history. Wow, I've searched this so much. That that, that pulled up fast. Right? All right. So let's see. Let's run through the 2013 draft real quick. Uh, this is after they lost to, who did they lose to? Falcons, yeah, in the yeah, playoffs. So yeah, uh-huh. yeah, uh, they traded for Percy. I want to say, uh, so no first round pick. Kristen Michael, Jordan Hill, Chris Harper, Jesse Williams, Daryl Simon, Luke Wilson, Spencer Ware, Ryan Seymour, Ty Powell, Jared Smith, Michael Bowie. Not good, not good. 2014 draft: P. Rich, Justin Britt, Cassius Marsh, Kevin Norwood, Kevin Pierre Lewis, uh, Jimmy Staten, Staten. Garrett Scott, Eric Pinkins, Kiro Small, not a great draft. The next draft had Frank and Tyler, but then had Terry Poole, Mark Lewinsky, Ty Smith, a couple names on there, remember. Not a good draft. Top two was good, though, Frank and Tyler. The 2016 draft, this was a really important pivot point, I think, uh, to where the franchise went, where it went. You got Jermaine, J. Reed, Procise, Vanette, Odiombo, Q. Jeff, Alex Collins, Joey Hunt, and then Kenny Lawler and Zach Brooks. Man, Kenny Lawler not working out is crazy. I thought he was cold in Cal- at Cal. Anyway, this is the really like I need to if to, to really answer this question about how things are going to look under John. This is really the draft that I would love to just sit with John, even if it's an off the record conversation, and get a deep dive into tw- into the twenty seventeen draft. Whose fault was that? Um, <laughs> because Damn. they had a lot of picks. Look, second round they traded back twice, passed on T.J. Watt and Buda Baker, uh, and took Malik McDowell. Second round, Ethan Posick. Third round, Shaquille. Good pick. Third round, Lano Hill. Third round, Nas Jones. Third mm. round, Amara Darbo. Like third, these are these are these are top one hundred picks, right? These guys aren't they not even in the league, not even close. They were all these guys were out of the league very fast. Uh, let's see. Fourth round, Tedrick Thompson. Sixth round, Mike Tyson. Sixth round, Justin Senior, the guy they called Fat the day they drafted him. And then seventh <laughs> round. That was crazy. That was my first draft, so I remember this one very well. Seventh round, David Moore. Seventh round, Chris Carson. So the back end there was, was solid. But look at all that meat in the middle. Where That was bad picks. Picks that weren't just bad because a guy got hurt. or what. These dudes were all out of the league very fast. And this was a, that was a very important draft because that was the draft that if you hit on it, 
you could transition very smoothly from the Legion of Boom to the next era. And they yeah. could not. Because there were some teams that built their teams around those drafts. Like the the not, uh, no, the Rams nailed that draft. The Saints nailed that draft. Both of those teams were in the NFC Championship like the next season. Either that season or like the next season. So, uh, yeah, I would for me to really have confidence to have a good answer, I want to sit John down and Jody maybe and be like, I oh, no, no, that was a Paul Allen was a lot for that one, but I want to sit John down and be like, yo, take me through all of these picks and decisions right now. Let's do it. Fun gal, right now. Chris Rock said, let's figure that out, and then <laughs> then I could give you guys a strong answer. Fungal right now. I love that line, dog. It's just real deal racism in them rush hour movies, but damn it, they were funny. <laughs> we got two more. We got Bam Season. You think Schneider is cut out for this? Will he make the right moves with Pete not being there? Kind of what you alluded to. Yeah, I don't know if he make the right moves, but I do think he's cut out for it. I do. I do. I do. He's just waiting for this, man. He really has been. Like, he's been training for this for a long time. Like, John... I was doing some research on John. He has been, he was a grinder to get his job as a green base. I think it was like a green Bay, like scouting assistant in the early nineties. Like to do that. I think he was like still in college and was like writing letters in. Um, he went to some like D three school, in like Minnesota or something, St. Thomas or something like that. Like he was grinding anyway. He's been grinding for about three decades now to get to this point where he has full control of an organization. So yeah, I think, I think he's ready for all the, all that part of it, all the work that comes with it. Here's why I'm curious, though, which is why it's a good question. I'm very curious about John in terms of the front-facing of the organization part. Because if you guys notice, John doesn't talk to the media much. And when he does, it's not on camera very often. Pete had to do that like three, four times a week for 14 years. That's a lot of work on top of doing radio, you know, national stuff, NFL Network, Rich Eyes and So, Sirius XM Radio. He has to do all this stuff to be the front-facing person of an organization. And that comes with a lot of responsibility. you got to take some bullets for people. you got to lie on camera sometimes, quite a bit, actually, when guys get arrested or they do some dumb stuff or there's a fight, you know, the day before the Super Bowl. You get up there and lie. You do. you got to protect the team. And I'm, I'm not sure how John's going to handle that. He's not really a good liar. You know, um, he's not. He's, he tells the truth quite a bit. You can see it in his eyes. I knew he was trading Russ. Went talked to him at the combine. I was like, oh, yeah. You can't even lie to me. That's crazy. Uh, so <laughs> that part I'm very curious about because that is hard. Right now, John just has to do like speak at the combine, speak at the draft while sitting next to Pete, um, do some radio here and there. You know what I'm saying? Do that little pregame thing he does with Steve Rabel. It's not like having to bear all that, take all the bullets with no plausible deniability. Like he can be like, yo, Pete won an LJ Collier. I didn't. Whether that's true or not, he could do it. Can't do that yeah. now. You know what I'm saying? So that's going to, and then you have to go keep answering for it. You can't just chill at Dino's and just, just like talk mess at the bar after work. Now, nah, man, you got to get up on NFL network and explain yourself. You know what I'm saying? You got to get up in front of us, not four times a week, but you guys get my point. And some guys don't handle that pretty well. You can see which coaches and which general managers are just don't like the spotlight of the, the media. And you can see which ones like Jerry Jones do, you know? So it just depends. I'm very curious to see how John handles that dealing with us and, and all the responsibility and kind of not having that that uh kind of buffer coat of armor, I guess you can call Pete Carroll in that regard. Because it's gonna come. All these mistakes and trades and stuff, it's not just on Pete. Now it's just really on on you. This last one comes from Zach Zach Gabel Gabale. I hope I'm going with Zach. What are your personal lasting memories of Pete's time here covering him? 
yeah, this this sounds like he's dead. Um, so yeah, we had a few people who asked us our uh, like our peak memories, our favorite moments. Um, let's see. So Chris, I I would guess. Do you have one that's a favorite? Oh yeah, well for me because I'm I don't cover the team. That's that's your role. My role is podcasting, and when I'm at training camp, I talk with I meet some of the players. I get introduced thanks to you, and sometimes I just go out on a limb like, "Yo, what's up? I'm this, this, and this. Nice to meet you, whoopty whoop." But for me, it was meeting Pete when I met him years ago. Obviously, he probably didn't remember me until we did the pod. To be honest, you know, he sees hundreds of people, and I'm not there every day, so he was probably like, "Yeah, I remember you." No, but. I would say doing the pod because I got, you know, intimate setting where he gets to see me now for 40 minutes and talk football and everything else. So that for me, that was my, damn, that was a cool moment. Cause I, you know, speak Carol. Not everyone gets to talk to that guy outside of whatever else is going on in his day. And we got the opportunity to do that. Now for me, that was huge. That's huge. It's almost to the point where, you know, I'm cool with coach Holmgren. I remember buying Madden, my parents buying Madden every year during Christmas, and I'd play the Seahawks, and, you know, I'd watch the opening intros, and I'd see Coach Holmgren out there, and I'm like, that's pretty cool. And you fast forward 20 years later, I'm rapping with Coach Holmgren at the studio, just chopping it up. He's talking about LeBron James when he was coaching and how fascinating he was back in the day, and I'm just like, wow, I'm sitting here talking to Coach Holmgren. So that energy, that aurora that I have, it just translated with Pete being able to see him at training camp. And then, you know, a few years later, he's on our podcast talking. I can't make it up. That was okay. That was a really cool moment. Rapping with Pete for, I think it was 44 minutes or something. That was fun. I That was easily my biggest and fun moment just around with Pete in that regard. Yeah, that's that's like, I have three. I have, I have a few, but three. That that one because we got to do that together. That was fun, um, and we we have been trying to get him on the show for so long, um, <laughs> and for him to finally want to do the show, like he he ended up getting on the show that time because he came up to me and was like, "Hey, we're we gonna do the podcast." I'm like, what are you talking about? We do it now. <laughs> uh, so that's one. Um, the other one is is one you guys have seen. I've probably t- I've talked about it here before. Is when he uh, he cut practice that day. It was August 2020. Um, and just gave a speech about racism in America. Mm, that's um, right. Mm-hmm. That's always gonna that's gonna stand out to me until the day I die. Tell my daughter about that and any other future kids I have. Um, because that was really important. Um, that was that was huge. So I, I feel like we've talked about that before. We did the whole other one, on it, Mike. Yeah, yeah, that one, that one. Um, yeah, that was huge. That was very important because it, it it'll go bigger than any football thing, any game he's ever won. That'll always be the biggest the biggest thing for me. And then the second one is sort of tied to that. It was in 2021. And I went back and found the YouTube clip of it. So you remember when John Gruden said all that racist stuff in his emails and he got, and he got fired. Yes. Yeah. And then somebody asked about it in the press conference about like the larger, like treating people, right. I guess, or no, no, the questions were like more like about the procedural stuff. They were like, Pete, are you worried about like the, uh, are you, are you worried about, uh, are you worried about how like the emails got out? Are you worried about just se- security among NFL coaches or what? It was just weird. It was weird coaching, weird phrasing. And he just took it to a place of like, Hey, treat people right. And everything like that. It was, he kind of got his, his stuff off about like more like race in America or just treating people. Right. I think John says some homophobic stuff too. And after all those questions, I think all those questions were by Art Teal um, of sports press Northwest or whatever. And 
after that, I came in with a question about Gino because Gino was about to start against the Steelers. So I, my, I, I was like, hey, something about Gino. And he was like, oh, wow, I can't believe that's where he took that question. And I thought that was weird. And then he answered my question. And I think it was that day or the next day. Pretty sure it was that day. At practice, um, I was waiting to talk to – that would have been Norton, I think, because that's who we get on Wednesdays. And Pete just comes up to me um, on the side. And he was like, yeah, man, I, I thought you were going to ask about, like, some of the Gruden stuff or, like, the stuff that had to do with, like, the art was asking about, about, like, like racism or something like that. And I was just like – and it led to – I don't need to rehash the whole conversation. But what that led to was me explaining to Pete, like – because the first thing I said was – Nah, I hear you, but like, look around that room, bro. I'm the only black person in there. Uh, me and Maz Vida, shout out to Maz. Um, it's like, but I don't want to have to ask all the race questions all the time. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes I just want to ask you about football. Like, sometimes I will ask you about stuff like that, but like, I don't want to feel like I'm obligated. Like, oh man, something racist happened. What does Mike think? You know what I'm saying? And then I, I broke that down to him. And we talked, we ended up talking, well, I thought it'd be like a little quick chat. We talked for like 40 minutes. Like he was waving off like meetings he had to go to and stuff like that. So it was just us on the field, him drinking a smoothie for like a long time. Uh, talked about a ton of things, but that, that was the, that was the, the springboard for a conversation. And I remember which day it was in part because we, again, this was like post George Floyd. So racism was on everybody's minds when the end zone say like, it takes all of us and stuff like that. And I was telling him, I was like, I was telling him how old I was and where I was from. And he was just like listening, asking me questions. And I was like, yeah, man, like the media, you, you connect with your players. And I, I don't know how many people he's been covered by that are black. And I don't know how many are black in like this age in particular. So I'm thir- I was thir- 29 at the time. So right around where his players are, too. And he, he was like really listening to me, like talking to me about that and that experience. And I remember I had went to my homie's, uh, what's it called? It's not the funeral when your just body is just there. The viewing. Well, I had gone to that that day. Actually, I drove straight from there because it was in Renton to practice that day. And I was telling him about that and how that played into like, man, yeah, man, I'm just really not trying to ask you about racism today. I just looked at my, my, my homie's dead body this morning. And I'm just kind of just trying to just lock in on my job. And he was he, when I told him that part, he was like, oh, shoot. And then, then it felt like I could imagine the type of the conversations he has with his players mm. that are too, because they go through all these things in life. Like I was talking to, um, like Michael Jackson, I think, like a couple weeks ago, I asked him about like bouncing in and out of the lineup and how he feels about that, and he was like, "Bro, I really don't care. Like, I love my job. I'm gonna do my job. I'm a professional. I'm a starter in this league, regardless. But like, I don't lost several homies this year." Haven't been able to go to the funerals. He was like, it's, it's bigger than life. You know what I'm saying? I got, I'm not worried about coming in and out of the lineup. And you you could tell, like, if he has that type of conversation with Pete, Pete's locked in. And I, I kind of felt what his players probably feel. That was the first and only time. He's, we and him have talked off the record a ton. But that particular one in 2021 was, like, the first time. Because remember, COVID, we couldn't be around the players and coaches, too. So that was, like, the first time where it was, like, oh man, Pete's getting to know me and care about my story. And it wasn't like full on trauma porn, but I wanted to throw that part in there about my homie because that was important. Uh, That was like, we kind of connected there and I walked away from it thinking like, okay, yeah, like I can see why people run through a wall for him. I'm ready to right now. You know, (laughs) we talked like 30 minutes and I ain't even on the team. So that that was cool. It was like, it's one thing to hear from a Brandon Browner or Michael Bennett or a Doug Baldwin or Russell or Marshawn about how much Pete cares. But at that moment, I was like, oh, man. So that's what it feels like. It was like 
It was like getting a hug. It was like, like getting a hug from Allen Iverson. It was like the warmest looking hugs ever. And you get one and you're like, oh my goodness. Like that was a, that was really cool. It was like firsthand experience in the, in the stuff that the players and the coaches talk about that makes them revere Pete and love Pete. I was like, you know what? That dude cool. Not that I didn't know that before, but it's different than hearing it and experiencing. And it was a really good convo, really deep convo. We talked about some other stuff too. I don't got to go into all of it, but that was like the, the genesis of it. Uh, and you could tell he was hearing me. He was listening. He was inquisitive. Pete's a pretty curious guy. So that was cool. And that, that convo is probably what led to some of the other ones we later had and him getting on the show. Cause then it feels like he know me, he know my first name, you know what I'm saying? He got my number, you know, that's, that's important. So that that's my, I, I, feel, I don't know if I've told that on the show before, but uh, no, you haven't. I haven't. That's good. I've been, I've been wanting to, that's a good, this is a good time to do it. So that's my, that's probably of the three moments I mentioned, that's the probably the one that stands out the most. Cause that's when I kind of felt the stuff that, that everyone else has talked about. In that moment, I was like, oh, yeah, I see it now. Yep. I see how you can lay your body on the line, protect the team, believe all that stuff, because he, he, I, could, I could see the genuine care, even though we kind of have a inherently adversarial working relationship where it's his job to protect the team and it's my job to extract information. That wasn't affected by the fact that we were just two dudes talking. You know, uh, that was cool. That was, I'll never forget that. That's another one of those that I will – Tell my daughter when she's old enough to process and any other kids I have in the future. There it is. Well, look, we appreciate you guys for hopping on and tapping in with us on this emergency episode. As you guys now know the news about Pete Carroll, he is no longer the Seahawks head coach. He's going to be in an advisory role, whatever that means. Might have more <laughs> yeah, information that on is. that. <laughs> we will all learn something new about his role, how long he'll do it. That's a great question. He still wants to coach, as he allude, as we alluded to earlier on the show. But we want, to appreciate, we want to thank you guys again for rocking with us. We appreciate all the love and support. Mike, anything you want to add before we get up out of here? Uh, yeah, man. Thank you guys for tuning in, for asking questions, for DMing. I see them all. If I don't, even if I respond late, uh, see them all. Appreciate all the love, all the tweets, all the texts, all the YouTube comments, podcast comments. All that stuff is amazing. We appreciate the love and support. Off season, regular season. Thank you. We would not be here without you guys. Um, on that note, we will catch you guys next time. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.